Well, good morning and happy Easter. We are so glad to have you joining us today. If you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17 will be there in just a minute. A while back, I went to the movie theater and I saw one of the new Spider-Man movies. I got some Coke and some popcorn, sat down and watched the film, and at the end, the credits rolled. And for whatever reason, we stayed, and I'm so glad we did. Who knew that after the credits rolled, there was an extra scene? Now, those of you who are hardcore Spider-Man fans, you probably already knew that, but I was thinking, wow, we just got an extra movie, an extra scene. 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on a cross and was crucified, and he died, and the credits rolled for three days. Ah, but there was an extra scene because three days later, he walked out of the tomb. And that's the game changer, the history changer that we're talking about today. So we celebrate that extra scene today. We're going to begin in Matthew 17, but first, let me tee it up. It's October 1st, 1932. It's game three of the World Series at Wrigley Field in Chicago. The series is tied, one game apiece. And the third game is tied 4-4 in the top of the fifth inning. Babe Ruth steps up to the plate. He takes strike one. He takes strike two. The Cubs fans start heckling the Babe, and the players get in on it too. And something happens that becomes legendary in the history of sports, because Babe Ruth was about to call his own shot. He took his bat and pointed it out to center field, and he hit the next pitch 440 feet and had a big smile on his face as he rounded the bases. A bold prediction, a bat pointed towards center field. On May 25, 1961, John F. Kennedy stood before a joint session of Congress and made a bold prediction in his Boston accent. He said, we will win the space race. He said, we will be the first nation to put a man on the moon and return him safely to the earth. And he said, we'll do it by the end of the decade. Well, on July 2nd, 1969, Neil Armstrong took one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. And I would suggest the turning point was a bold prediction. Now, on a less historical note, 30 years ago, there was a struggling actor in Hollywood named Jim Carrey. And he had a nightly ritual. Sometimes he'd have two or three comedy shows. And he'd drive up Mulholland Drive to the Santa Monica Mountains that overlook Los Angeles. And he'd give himself a speech. And he'd say, everyone wants to work with me. I'm a really great actor. I have all kinds of great movie offers. And he kept saying it until he believed it. But he did something else. He made a bold prediction. He wrote a check to himself for $10 million and postdated it Thanksgiving 1995. And on the memo wrote, for services rendered. By the time Thanksgiving 1995 rolled around, he had made twice that. He had a $20 million payday. But it started with a bold prediction. Here's what I'm getting at. I have a simple theory. My theory is this. If history turns on a dime, the dimes are bold predictions backed up with bold actions. Bold predictions backed up with bold actions are what change the course of history. From Martin Luther to Martin Luther King Jr. From the 95 theses posted on the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany on October 31st, 1517, 
to the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in the I Have a Dream speech on August 28, 1963. Bold predictions backed up with bold actions. It changed sports history, changed entertainment history, changed world history, changed your history. I want to tell you something. God can change your life. He wants to change your life. And he has made some bold predictions about you. And by the time we're done this morning, we're going to get to them. And I believe he's going to deliver on his promise. Let's start with Matthew chapter 17, verse 22. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day, he will be raised to life. Now, we've heard this. We've read this so many times. We know what happens. And we suffer from hindsight bias. That's our problem. We know how the story ends. But if you could, for just a moment, forget what you know and take this at face value. Jesus said, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Now, should they be filled with excitement because he said he was going to be raised to life? But they missed that little part because they didn't have a category for it. It's a bold prediction. And it begins a series of bold predictions. And we're going to come back to this one and see how it's fulfilled. But here's what I want to do. I want you to follow me on a trail of predictions that lead to an empty tomb. Because here's the deal. God has made some predictions about you. But can you trust those? Well, it might help to look at some of the predictions that we can actually validate. It wasn't long after this that Jesus was entering into Jerusalem. We call it the triumphal entry. His popularity polls were at an all-time high. People were throwing down palm branches. People were singing Hosanna. This is a championship parade. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem, but right before that, he makes an interesting prediction. He says in Mark 11, verse 1, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt fed there, tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a cold outside in the tree, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? You'd say the same thing too. This is the ancient equivalent of hot wiring someone's car. You don't untie someone else's Ford Mustang or donkey. Here's the amazing thing. Verse 6, they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. Now, I don't know if I ever really stopped to notice, let alone preach, on any part of this story. But it really is remarkable. If you go and untie someone's donkey in the ancient world, that's grand theft donkey. You just don't do this. This prediction is crazy. Not just because Jesus told them exactly where they would find it, but the fact that the people agreed to them taking it. Here's the thing. 
This prediction is actually predated by another prediction that's hundreds of years old. Zechariah 9.9, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, Jesus made a prediction and it came true. But there was a prediction hundreds of years old that came true as well. Here's what I'm getting at. When Jesus makes a prediction, it happens. And the predictions get better and they get bolder. A few days after this, still in this one week that leads up to the crucifixion, Jesus is anointed by a prostitute who breaks an alabaster jar of perfume. The disciples get a little upset because they think it's a waste of money. But Jesus defends this woman and says something so interesting. What a bold prediction in Matthew 26, verse 13. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Just stop and think about the odds of this, okay? I did a little bit of research. Depending on how you count, there were 77 Roman Caesars. How many can you name? Probably three or four, maybe five. Unless you, unless you majored in ancient Roman history, even then, you probably forget some of them. Listen, the most famous of the famous aren't even remembered a hundred, let alone a thousand years after they die. There were 332 pharaohs. I bet the only ones you can name were the ones in Night at the Museum. Very few people are remembered a hundred, a thousand years after they're gone. So you tell me, what are the chances of a prostitute in Israel being remembered in Israel a couple of thousand years later? But here's the deal. 6,168 miles away from where this happened and approximately 1,989 years after it happened, this prediction again comes true today. This prediction, this bold prediction is fulfilled once again. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not even gonna talk about the most familiar predictions we're aware of, the betrayal and the denial of Jesus that happened right after this. But the nuances of those predictions, I thought about it this week. It's almost like a game of Clue. Judas did it with a kiss in the garden for 30 pieces of silver, right? Peter did it in the courtyard three times before the rooster crows. The nuances of these predictions of Jesus predicting what would happen is absolutely remarkable. And so Jesus is betrayed and denied. And he's found guilty by a kangaroo court. And he's stripped, mocked, and spit upon. He's beaten with a cat of nine tails. And nine-inch spikes are driven through his hands and feet. And next to him are two thieves. And Jesus makes one more bold prediction. He says in Luke 23, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. I would suggest that this is the last temptation of Christ. Temptation because how tempting would it have been for him to save himself? 
That's what they dared him to do. The crowds yelled, save yourself and we'll believe. Listen, there's a kind of power that's the ability to do things that are absolutely remarkable and there's another kind of power and it's the power to not do what you have the power to do. And I think it's expressed here in a very powerful way. Jesus said, do you not know that my father has put at my disposal 12 legions of angels? Okay, a legion was the largest unit in the Roman army. 6,000 soldiers. And Jesus evidently had 12 of them. He had 72,000 angels at his beck and call. He could have saved himself like that. But that was not his mission. He wasn't there to save himself. He was there to save us. In order to save us, the sinless son of God had to pay the sacrifice for us. Let me be very clear. It's broadly debated. Who's responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Was it the Romans? They had the political power. The cross was their idea to begin with. Was it the Jews? They incited the crowds to yell, crucify him, crucify him. And I would suggest it was neither. It was me. That's who's responsible. It was my sin that drove him to the cross. It was my sin and it was your sin. And it certainly wasn't nine-inch nails that kept him hung on that cross. It was his undying love for us. You see, the cross proves once and for all there's a God who loves you enough to die for you. So one thief says, save yourself. And in verse 40, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, listen, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And here's the bold prediction. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. What a bold, bold prediction. Now, let me double back to John 11, verse 25. There's one more prediction that I want to look at. Jesus makes his boldest prediction and states his boldest claim. In John eleven twenty five, 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Let me pause there for just a moment. I love the interview that Bono did with Rolling Stone a number of years ago. They asked him the question about his opinion of Jesus. They said, Christ has to rank as one of the world's greatest teachers. But son of God, isn't that a little far-fetched? And the lead singer of U2 responded this way. He said, no, it's not far-fetched to me. Look, the secular response to Christ always goes like this. He was a great prophet who had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets, be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius. But actually, Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off the hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me a teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. Don't call me a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I'm saying I'm God incarnate. And people say, no, no, just be a prophet. A prophet we can take. So what you're left with is Christ is who he says he was, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. Now, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He was either a liar, a lunatic, 
or he was, in fact, who he claimed to be, Lord. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. A bold claim followed by a bold prediction. He said, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. God makes some bold predictions about you in the Bible. They're called promises. That's what promises are. Promises of God are bold predictions about you. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Can you believe those predictions? Well, I think you can, based on the fact that he proved himself in each and every one of these predictions he made. So how do these bold predictions come true? I think it's revealed right here in John 11. Jesus asked a point-blank question. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he die. And he says, do you believe this? And I love Martha's answer. It's the shortest profession of faith in the Bible. One word. Are you ready? Yes. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah. I want to tell you that one little yes can change your life. One little yes can change everything. And if you say yes to God, God will change your life. And you know what? Jesus didn't just die to make bad people good. He died to bring dead people to life. Jesus said it this way. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. That's the offer that's on the table for each and every one of us. All we have to do is say yes. Let me close with this. A while back, I received an email from a young woman who was at a crossroads in her life. She was struggling to find purpose and meaning. She didn't think that God could use her because of her past. She had attended one of our worship services and had made a decision for Christ. And in her email, I'll never forget this one sentence. She said, I forgot about the resurrection. I forgot about the resurrection. And I thought to myself, how many times does that happen? Is that not our biggest problem? That we forget that there's a God that doesn't just raise bodies from the dead, but there's a God who raises dreams from the dead? There's a God who raises parts of our personalities that have died at the hands of sin or suffering or shame, that he raises those parts back to life? I don't know what may have died in your life, but you need to know that there is an extra scene waiting to be shot in your life. There is a God who wants to bring you to life, to give you life, and life to the full. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. This day where we celebrate that you made predictions, bold predictions, and you're true to your word because they came true. God, you sent Jesus to this earth to live a perfect, sinless life. And then he was led to a cross where he paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. But God, the grave could not hold him because three days later you raised him from the dead. And today, Lord, that's what we celebrate. 
that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And God, that fills our lives with hope, that fills our lives with meaning and purpose. And because you raised Jesus from the dead, we know that when you make promises and predictions about us, they come true as well. And so God, I pray that we would trust you, that we would take you at your word, that we would know that that you wanna raise parts of our life back from the dead. So God, I pray if there's anybody who has never accepted Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of their life, that today they would see that the tomb is empty, that they would realize the reality is Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, he wants to save us and bring us to life too. God, we praise you that Jesus is alive. We celebrate that today in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's message from Bachelor Creek Church. If you made a decision today or would like to talk with one of our pastors, text the word Jesus to 260-215-4334. Or you can call the church office at 260-563-4109. We would love to talk with you and we love to help you on your journey with Jesus. Thanks again.